For the last two weeks, we've been applying Amos 5 to the workings of Texas government to help us better understand how the Bible is an essential tool in developing governments and society that better conform to the will of our Lord and King, Jesus Christ. On this week's episode 141 of the Liberty Cafe, we will finish this analysis by examining the bribery running rampant through Texas government and Texas politics. Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. Hi, this is Bill Peacock, and welcome to the Liberty Cafe. It's a blessing to be with you this week as you listen into the podcast. And I'm also blessed to be sponsored here at the Liberty Cafe by Texas Scorecard. So please run over there to texasscorecard.com, listen to the other podcast and read the articles and, and find out what you, what's going on in the battle for liberty in Texas and what you can do to take a part in that. So as I mentioned, about two weeks ago, we, we started, well, exactly two weeks ago, we, we started providing some background on the usefulness of the Scripture in evaluating the government policies and actions of politicians. Then last week, we used Amos 5 to help us better understand whether our civil governments and politicians are, are seeking God, and the consequences of what happens when they fail to do so. The last verse we used last week was uh, Amos 5.12, which says, For I know how many are your transgressions, and how great are your sins, you who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe, and turn aside the needy in the gate. So we looked at the first two portions, or I'm sorry, the first portion and the last portion of that verse, Last week. So this week we're going to look at the, the middle portion of that, Amos's criticism of leaders who take a bribe. So I, I can only think of a, a few Texas policy, politicians in recent years who have been convicted of taking a bribe right under Texas law. But, but I'd suggest that the biblical meaning of bribe can be more expansive than the term in Texas law that makes certain activities relating the exchange of money the crime we call bribery. So when we look at John Calvin, the great reformer from the 15, 1500s, 16th century, he says that the, in his commentary on Amos that the Jewish word translated bribe here, kafir, means expiation or the price of redemption. And then he adds to that that the, the cruelty of many judges appears especially in this, that they hunt for crimes for the sake of gain, which seems to be, as it were, a ransom, for this is the proper meaning of the word kafir. So th this could go two ways, I think. We look at government today, well, initially two ways. Either these judges, civil magistrates, the police, the prosecutors, even legislators who pass certain uh, laws that make certain things crimes, they could either accuse the innocent of crimes in order to receive payments for acquittal or campaign contributions in that way, or they could, for a price, provide acquittal to the guilty. So that, those are two ways those kind of things we could happen. And, and as I noted uh, last week, that we, we see many innocent people wrongfully brought into the criminal and civil justice system. So I won't go through all those, but go back and listen next week, and you can probably just pick up a newspaper and find a lot of those today. 
And, and the, the problem is that the trial process involving these people, even if they win their case and are, are acquitted, it bolsters the livelihoods, the wealth, and, and the power of judges, prosecutors, police, legislators, and just about anyone else associated with the criminal justice system and often the, the, the overall political system. So, so I think that this term kafir or bribe fits very well in this situation. Now, it, it's not illegal. I'm not saying that these, some of the things that these folks are doing are illegal because for the most part, if they were illegal, they would be put in jail themselves, although that's certainly not the case either, but more often than less, perhaps. But, but again, the, the people associated with government in these situations clearly benefit financially and otherwise. I think we can go beyond this, though, and you have to be careful when you're exegeting Scripture, and, and I'm trying to be here. I'm, I'm using Calvin to help me understand what these terms mean and then applying these terms to what I know of, of government in Texas today. So when we're looking at Texas government, today's Texas politicians in many ways, seems to seem to extort tax dollars from their citizens by identifying things as problems that are not problems, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, or sometimes by actually creating problems, and then, in both cases, they exact the payment of taxes to solve the problems, either the problems that they've created or the problems that aren't problems at all. So, in other words, tax dollars are citizens' price of redemption or their deliverance from the problems, the created problems, um, that plague them, if they're actually problems at all. So this is not unlike the classic protection scheme run by organized crimes and mobs, the mafia, those kind of things, where business owners are protected from violence from the same gangs that are protecting them, right? So the, the violence would come from the same people who are protecting them from violence, right? So, so, so the, the crazy thing here is that the, the difference is, a little bit, is that uh, when it comes to the political protection scheme we're talking about here, it's twofold. First, citizens don't pay the protection money directly to somebody in, in government, you know, this legislator here or this bureaucrat here or this judge there. Uh, it, it, we pay them through taxes. And then second, the, the politicians don't deposit their, our tax dollars in their own accounts. Rather, what they do is use our tax dollars to maintain their elected status and, and thus their ability, or just their jobs in government, and thus maintain their ability to exercise power and gain wealth through legal means. So let me explain what I'm talking about here. The most obvious way that politicians use taxpayer money is to maintain their power, their status, or wealth. Uh, the, the way they do that is by appropriating money, spending money, in ways that benefit organizations and constituencies who either donate to their campaigns or otherwise help them maintain their positions of authority. One example of this in Texas is when the, the legislature appropriates transportation funds in ways that make sure they go to engineering firms and concrete companies, regardless of the fact whether building more roads and lanes is the best way to solve traffic congestion. An another one is sending billions of dollars to local telephone companies 
to build out you know, kind of rural Texas areas, those kinds of things, to build out wire broadband networks. At the same time, SpaceX and Amazon are using private capital to fill the skies with satellites that will make broadband ubiquitous. So a similar way that this happens is, is where the exchange of money is not so obvious. But it's when politicians appropriate money to, con money to constituencies and attempt to quiet their opposition. So perhaps the best example of this right now in Texas has been the recent attempts by Republicans in Texas to buy off teachers and local education officials by sending billions of dollars to local school districts. While, while this is nothing new, it rose to a new level after the 2018 midterm elections when Republicans lost a number of seats of, in suburban Texas House and Senate districts. Overnight, I mean, th this transition happened literally overnight, the night of the uh, 2018 midterm elections, actually. Uh, in, in a desperate attempt to remain in power, Republic, the Republican majority dumped a planned school choice campaign through the legislature and is, instead decided that they needed to dump an extra $5 billion on public education. Some members and elected officials wanted to use this on teacher salary increases. Some just wanted to send it to local school districts to see as they use as they saw fit. But it, it really didn't matter how it was spent. They just the Republicans wanted their education constituencies, you know, school boards, school administrators, teachers unions, those types of things to acknowledge just the, the largesse and generosity of Texas Republicans. Of course, they're being generous with not their money, but our money. So the Republicans were hoping that these people wouldn't necessarily endorse them because they tend to endorse Democrats, but they, they would just back off and, and not cause trouble for them uh, with suburban voters. So it didn't work, by the way, but, but it really happened. So, so that, that's one way that, that, that this goes on. So let me look at this another way. The idea of, of uh, spending taxpayer money to solve problems in our economy and society. Whether uh, the problems are really not problems or problems that the government created. In, in order to save time, we'll just really look at the last of these two. Uh, problems that the government has created themselves. A perfect example of this is the example of Texans being asked to spend their money to solve a problem created by the government when it comes to the reliability problem that we're currently facing here in the Texas electric grid. Probably everybody in Texas almost knows, you know, that we've suffered a lot of problems lately. We go back to the collapse of the Texas grid during Winter Storm Murray back in 2021, probably the worst blackout in American history. If you, if you combine all the factors together. And then, of course, almost weekly, if not monthly, uh, the last two summers, uh, since then, we've just heard about the Texas grid being strained to the point of nearly breaking. So what has the response of, the te of Texas politicians and bureaucrats been, particularly the Republicans who are in charge? Because Democrats always want to spend money, and our money, but let's just look at the, the Texas Republicans and, and the bureaucrats who work for them. Well, the response is the same as the Democrats. They, they want to spend billions of dollars of our money. 
because they think if they spend billions of dollars of our money uh, to fix the grid, that will solve, well, it's a little questionable. Is it going to solve our problems with an unreliable grid? Or is it going to solve their problems of having an angry populace who is upset about the reliability of the grid? Well, We'll look at that in just a bit more. But but what they're doing to, to get these billions of dollars, either is they're either raising our electricity prices and and or they're appropriating taxpayer dollars, taxpayer dollars out of the surplus. We had the $32 billion surplus and more we had uh, coming into this last legislative session. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details here on how this is working because I really cataloged all this in, in multiple ways. For the Energy Alliance. So if, if you want the details, just go over to theenergyalliance.com. All I'll note here is that, that, that I've estimated at the Energy Alliance that the annual electricity tax imposed on Texans by our elected officials, the legisl legislators, the governor, lieutenant governor, speaker of the House, and the appointed officials over at the PUC, and then the ones who work for them at the PUC, and then the, the, a bunch of the employees over at ERCOT as well. I estimate it's going to be as high as $8 billion a year by 2026. Uh, that's in total. This includes some federal subsidies as well, so it's not just the folks here in Texas. But 20, it, it's a little bit up in the air exactly what this is going to look like because we don't know quite what the grid changes are going to be after the legislature's session. But th that'll become clearer in a little bit. But, but already these costs are running have been running about $3 billion to $5 billion per year. Because this, this response by the legislature goes back to well before URI, really back into the 2015 era or so, something like that. So anywhere from 3 to $5 billion a year, just depending on how you count it and, and what the certain conditions are in each year. So it would be one thing if all this work was was actually brought reliability to the grid, but that's not the case. Uh, for, so go back a little ways. For 15 to 20 years, Texas took a free market approach to the grid where all the cost of maintaining reliability was paid by generators, hoping to make a profit. We didn't pay for it. The generators did. But that changed for two reasons. First, Texas and U.S. politicians started subsidizing renewable energy. This led to great market distortions that made electricity both cost more and become less reliable at the same time. There's a pattern here. They're making electricity cost more, and they're making it less reliable. That continues on today. Second, the politicians stopped trusting in the market and started intervening in it, in it, with each subsequent intervention making electricity, again, more expensive and less reliable. So in this year's legislative session, all this came to a head when Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick sold out Texas taxpayer. So, I mean, there's no other way you can describe this. He, he sold us out. He became desperate to give up up to $10 billion of taxpayer money to electric generators so that they wouldn't have to spend their own money. We would have to spend it because he thought that would get them to build more generation in Texas to compensate for the fact the mess that, that Patrick and his fellow politicians have made of the Texas electricity market by subsidizing renewable energy in the first place. And, and Patrick and the senators particularly uh, took this route rather than just simply reversing these renewable energy subsidies and other policies that 
caused the problem in the first place. And in fact, Dan Patrick and the, the Senate with him was so desperate to make this happen that they pushed through the Texas Senate uh, a house plan for property tax abatements for big business. Because last session, the Senate killed this same bill, basically. It's different, but it was the same concept. Property tax abatements for big, huge businesses, when they go to a county or a city and say, hey, we'll move in, or in this case, school districts, we'll, we'll move into your school district if you'll give us a big property tax break. That died in the Senate last session. But they passed it this session because that's the only way that the House was going to pass Dan Patrick's payments, $5 billion, turned out to be $5 billion for the payments to energy companies. And so in order to get his $5 billion out to the energy companies and maybe get some constituents off his back by fixing the grid, by the way, that's not going to work either, he gave a bunch of property tax uh, abatements to big business instead of us. So this is where I think that the biblical bribery issue comes up. Again, I'm not accusing anybody of bribery in the criminal sense. But I, but I think the biblical perspective on this uh, is applicable. So it, so it appears that the $5 billion the legislature finally set aside for this, and which we're going to be asked to vote and approve on in November at the polls when we vote on several constitutional amendments, it was, it was done in order to keep Republicans in power. I've heard lots of conversations about this, and I, I think they are reliable. That, and the theory is that if the electric grid did not more, become more reliable soon, it might threaten the continued Republican hold over Texas government. A majority in the Texas House, the Texas Senate, the governor's office, all the statewide offices, all the statewide elected uh, judicial offices, those types of things. And so a lot of Republican politicians, and I, I'm pretty sure this is the case, feared that voters might turn to Democrats to fix the problems if the Republicans didn't do something. So something other, of course, than eliminate renewable energy subsidies because they just couldn't bring themselves to do that. So what did they do? They just, they're going to try and get us to approve this $5 billion dollars at the polls in November. So that, that's what we're being asked to do, approve, pay $5 billion to fix a problem created by Texas politicians. And a problem that even if it was the case, that companies used to pay for. So who benefits from this? Well, not Texans, yeah, because we're poor because of the spending and we're still gonna have a less reliable market than we would if they, if they just got rid of the subsidies and regulations they've been imposing on the market for the last, eh, 15 to 20 years, depending on where you start counting. So it's the politicians and, and their constituencies, big business, who really benefit from this. Their, their power for the politicians to control the economy increases. Their ability to, to solicit campaign contributions from energy companies increase. And their ability to stay in elected offices from which they can often increase their personal wealth through relationships also increases. So I won't go into detail about other programs and spending that have been pushed on us to solve problems that didn't really exist or existed, but in ways very different from what we've been told. But just a few examples of those include welfare, 
Medicaid and Medicare, Social Security, and Affirmative Action. So maybe we can discuss those another day, but the dynamics are the same. So for the last three weeks, uh, we've been using the words of God and the prophet Amos to examine Texas government. While, while I think that we have unearthed some serious problems in our Republican-led, supposedly conservative state government, the bigger task we undertook here was to determine whether using the Bible is appropriate in this day and age. I, ho I hope I've convinced you that it is, or at least convinced you that you ought to look more closely into this. So sometimes the application of Scripture to government is very straightforward, such as uh, applying the Sixth Commandment. Thou shall not kill. That informs us that we should have laws against murder, including the murder of babies uh, through abortion. Other times, though, it requires a more in-depth analysis, digging down into both Scripture and the workings of government. That's what I've tried to do here, using Amos chapter 5 over the last three weeks, and even if I haven't convinced you of every point I've made, I hope that at least I've opened the doors to some possibilities in your mind about how Scripture might be used to better inform us about the operations and limits of civil government. Well, thank you once again for listening in to the Liberty Cafe and particularly listening to the last three weeks of our attempt to use the prophet Amos and other biblical Scriptures to evaluate Texas government. And thanks also once again to our sponsor for the Liberty Cafe, Texas Scorecard. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe with Bill Peacock. This show is produced by Texas Scorecard. You can learn more about this show and find other shows at texasscorecard.com. Be sure you subscribe and rate the show on whatever platform you listen on. See you next time.